What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL. I'm Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to Capehart. Fancy Dance is a family drama and crime thriller set on a Seneca Cayuga reservation. It stars Lily Gladstone, who plays Jax, a Native woman looking for her missing sister while caring for her niece, Roki. This riveting movie was written and directed by Erica Tremblay, who has called it a love letter to Native communities. But it's also a story that's been called Sadly Necessary. In this conversation, first recorded for Washington Post Live on November 29th, Gladstone and Tremblay talk about the themes of indifference and invisibility in the film, the importance of bringing Native stories to bigger platforms, and why, despite its great acclaim and reviews, no film studio has bought Fancy Dance. It is great to it is great to talk with both of you because the film is ter- it is really terrific. And Lily, I'm going to start with you briefly. Tell me what fancy dance is. What's it about, and and what that phrase means for Native communities. Um, fancy dance is about the love of Bernice. Uh, and I apologize for getting reverberations, so I might take a take me a second to answer. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, the story of matrilineal love, of cultural perseverance, and of searching for a missing sister, which is unfortunately way too common in our communities. Um, the word fancy dance itself to Native communities is going to mean um, resilience, going to mean joy, it's uh, going to mean cultural perpetuity. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's one scene in in, in the movie when um, Rock, uh, Roki's grandparents, um, I can't remember if it was bef- before um, she is sent to live with them or after where she's talking about her costume and Roki corrects her, her grandfather's, um, her grandfather's wife. Talk about the significance of that. Me or Erica? Uh, Lily. <laughs> You. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, it is. It is before she goes to live with them. It's that moment, and I mean, that scene is so indicative of why I love performing Erica's writing so much. It's all there without being too on the head, but it's so familiar. That's. I feel like every Native person, when you know you're interfacing um, outside of your culture, where people just understand how to talk about things. There is, um, it's just really hard to articulate to a lot of well-meaning people how important our regalia is, how important our dance is, how important our community is. And that, that scene is just, you know, it's, it's, that, it's that well-meaning curiosity that can be very, very uh, taxing <laughs> to over and over have to explain it's not a costume. It's not a pageant sort of dance. It's not, you know, it is competitive. It can definitely be competitive, but it's also not, you know, it's, um, 
it's the highlight of people's year. It's what brings people together. It's a, uh, you know, when you're taught to dance, you dance for everybody who can't, which is, I think, really, you know, when, when we do finally see this moment between this niece and this auntie, um, that's exactly what the dance is for. It's reminding everybody that we, we dance because we have life. Um, we dance because it's a celebration of that life and each other. It's um, in that way, it can be a very like sacred ceremonial thing, you know, mm -hmm. um, but it's also a social fun thing. Uh, Erica, since Lily says she loves um, she loves performing your your writing. This is your 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 feature film directorial debut. Um, you also wrote the screenplay. Why was this story important for you to not only tell but also to direct? Well, what a what a ginormous compliment to <laughs> to hear Lily say that. Um, you know this. This story was really born out of a previous collaboration between Lily and I. Um, we had made a short film together called Little Chief, and um, it went to Sundance, and it was um, a real milestone in my career in terms of getting reps and being able to kind of take my career to the next level. And I recognized that there was a hunger for Native stories and authentically told Native stories that we had seen in the response to our short film. And so I called Lily up and I said, what if we make something similar to this, not the same story, but set in the same world with a character who is very similar, but we expand that world and create a feature. And she was like, yes. Uh, and so um, I started developing the script as I was going through language immersion. Uh, I was studying the Cayuga language for eight hours during the day and writing at night. And that kind of connection to community, connection to culture and language really inspired this, um, this screenplay. And, and as I was developing it, I, I, it was during the pandemic and it was a lonely process and a lonely time. And I, I called up Michiana Elise, who is my co-writer on the script and and said hey um i love your writing i'm working on this project with lily would you like to come on board and then it became you know uh as it was kind of said at the top a love letter to our communities and you know it's important for us to tackle serious topics that are happening in our communities but we wanted to ground it in the love and relationship between these two women and um have them circumventing all of these obstacles um, with with love and joy and connection. And so that was really our North Star as as we were writing, developing, and and then as I was directing, directing the project. It was just a, a story and a, a group of collaborators that really we moved through the whole process of making this film together um, and and kind of let the community and and our our love for these two characters guide where it would take us. Well, before I show a scene from the movie, um, um, in a in a review in Film School Rejects back in January, the film was described, as I mentioned in the intro, quote, sadly necessary, Erica. Why is now the, the time for this film? Why is it sadly necessary? I mean, I think since settler violence hit our communities, this story has always been sadly necessary. I think it's just only been in the past 
several years that we've actually been given resources and a stage to tell these stories. So unfortunately, these stories have been sadly necessary for a very long time. And mm -hmm. we've been yearning and wanting to tell these stories for generations. Um, we are thankfully now arriving at a time in Hollywood where we are being given budgets and resources and the, the runway to tell these stories in the hopes that we can move on from telling these stories <laughs> and have rom-coms and, and genre films and all sorts of other stories that we long to tell and, and play in that sandbox. Um, but with the rates of violence in our communities still so high and with these being daily issues that we deal with, um, we as creators wanted to talk about these issues um, and, and tell that story now and today because we had the access and, and um, the, the means by which to tell it. But it, they've been sadly necessary for a very long time. Lily, let's talk about your, your character, Jax, who is, I'm quite honestly, a total badass. Um, she plays the aunt <laughs> of Roki. Uh, we have a clip that shows the lengths she'll go to keep her niece in her care. Everybody watch this. Yeah, give me some papers. Where's your bag? Right there. Perfect place to get it stolen. Always keep it on you. Yep. And we see in that instance that uh, Roki sees the Amber Alert. But well, I'm going to have to tell you, I am never going to pump gas the same way again. <laughs> After seeing that scene. <laughs> but, but Lily, we, we learn in the film, um, in the Cayuga language, auntie, aunt means little mother. Talk to me about Jax and Roki's relationship uh, as her little mother. Yeah, I... I mean, it's said early on, established in the first few minutes of the film, that there is no father, that there never has been a father. It's just been Roki, her mother, Tawi, and Jax. And 
Jax, I, I love the space that she fills in this because you see somebody that essentially, I guess, through a Western lens is a very masculine person. Um, and the way that, you know, I inhabited it as a non-binary person kind of informed that. Um, mm -hmm. But Jax's role is so deeply, deeply indigenously feminine. And it's um, in that she's she's got responsibility to be the one who is, I guess, kind of the course corrector for her niece. You know, parents are there and serve that very parental role, of course, but there's, you know, our languages traditionally don't have these sort of divisive ways of um, separating us further from who our relatives are. Like, we say great grandmother, we say, we say great aunties, but really traditionally, you know, our, all of our grandmothers, sisters and brothers are our grandmothers and grandfathers as well. Um, so that's a continuation of that. And uh, having that moment where Roki, her niece, is reminding her of her place, it's that dynamic of, you know, in this, in this world that's really in this system and this moment and the narrative, uh, you know, micro, macro, it's trying to separate this family and, and reminding and calling back that aunt is not, aunt is not like a step away from being your mother. It is on level with being your mother. And um, yeah, you know, Jax is a very flawed person by circumstance, does everything that she can to keep her family afloat and in many ways fulfills that absence of a, of a father figure and a protector in the family but is doing so in a very, very strongly matriarchal way. And especially, mm. you know, also hearkening in that moment, she's the one who's keeping the language alive in this family. And Erica will be able to speak to this more because of her background with, um, with revitalizing her language. But, you know, that was, um, I think something a lot of audiences might miss, especially not coming from native communities is the, the, the preciousness of our languages and that there's we we actually don't live in a world where there are many fluent speakers roki or jax's age um I, erica i believe you said some 21 there are 21 seneca cayuga first language speakers left and um there's a lot of people coming up and learning it and becoming fluent in it but we wanted to create this film and show this matrilineal love even if jax can't give roki everything that Western society says you're supposed to provide your child, she's the one who's keeping the language and the culture alive, which is one of our, some of our most valuable and precious resources. Um, and we were creating a world, you know, a, also a love letter to Seneca Cayuga speakers. We're seeing their language in a setting that, you know, everybody's fighting to bring it into the modern day, bring it into the common daily use, having kids speak it fluently, confidently, being able to express emotion. Um, being able to connect with their family through it. Um, yeah, Eric, I would yeah, I would love for you to 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 pick up on that because that was something that was, I mean, as I've said already, your your movie is a beautiful movie. But what adds to it adds to the beauty is hearing the language. Um, and and hearing not only hearing the language, but also seeing the fluency with which both Jax and Roki bounce back and forth between English and and Cayuga. 
Um, where in in the same way, you know, I lived in New York City for 16 years, used to hearing many people mm -hmm. bounce between their languages and and English back and forth, seemingly seemingly without uh, a care or thought at all. Talk about why why it's so important to have actually quite a few long stretches of dialogue between Roki and Jax uh, in native language. Yeah, I mean, like I said before, this film was largely written when I was in um, full-time language immersion and I was just really inspired to imagine young people speaking the language and um, thinking about bringing something that often whether it's in our daily lives or in anthropology and academia can feel like a relic and trying to take that and, and pull it from that relic status and putting it in front of audiences, both native and non-native to show the beauty of the language, not only as like a, a something that you can hear through the performances as a song, but also as a cultural touchstone, as you discussed earlier, Knoha and Knoha'a being mother and little mother and understanding that full world views are held inside of our language and its grammar and its syntax and its delivery. And um, we took it very seriously. Kisa Parker, who was our language consultant who I had gone through language immersion with came. We did two weeks of language immersion with Roki and Lily, and they spent hours a day speaking the language and learning the language. It's a very difficult language to learn coming from English as your base language. And one of the things that we did on the set of the film is on day one, we, we had worked with um, our language consultant and elders to come up with set calls. So like action and cut and sound speeds and all of that, we created these lanyards that were passed out to the entire cast and crew on day one. And by day three, everyone was just using these words like, like second nature and, and they were saying them without looking down at the lanyards. And we spent you know 23 days together, not only with the language being living on the screen, but also in our process as collaborators and creators to feel that language vibrant and living. And I love to tell the anecdote that our AD months later after we wrapped, texted me from a night shoot on a soundstage <laughs> and she had called out Satrice, which means moving on in Cayuga. And she was using on, it on a, and everyone looked at her and I was like, yes, use it, tell them what it means. And I love that even months later, it was still a living, um, you know, uh, marker of what we had done uh, on the set. Can we talk about something else that is very present in the movie? And that is sort of the culture of indifference to to Native people. I mean, Lily, you mentioned a moment ago, um, Tali, who is Roki's mother, Jax's sister, who's gone missing. And she's having a hard time getting the authorities to take her being missing seriously. Meanwhile, a full-on Amber Alert is issued for Roki um, because you know her white grandparents want, want to get her back. Um, I'm interested in how the indifference toward an invisibility of Native women uh, affects you. Why, talk about why this this indifference is a very real factor in Native lives. I think indifference just in 
you know, it props up invisibility, which is a continuation of genocide and erasure. Um, indifference is Yeah, it's it's keeping these systems that limit the sovereignty our nations have to just protect ourselves. You know, we're not we're not calling we're not calling on anybody to save us in the long run. What we really want is to have enough sovereignty restored to what it was pre-Oliphant in the 1970s that eroded tribal sovereignty back so far that tribal police can do nothing about this. Um that's I love the character that Ryan Begay plays. Um, our brother was in this role um, where he should really be the one who has the authority. It's his sister that's missing, but he's, he has none. He's a police he's officer. By, right. He's a tribal police officer. So the best that he can do is follow some leads, as you see. And he is ultimately the one that finds all the leads or follows up on the leads that Jack digs up. You know, it's he's. And then he has the authority and has the voice to call in the feds, who are the only ones who have the power to do any of this. So that invisibility really has been created by design. And I feel like being a storyteller, having films like this, and having audiences engage in them, is it's a big step toward changing that. Um, a lot of times we do see elements of Missing murdered indigenous relatives narratives placed into other stories as plot points as something that's really going to advance or serve the white characters in the story. Um, or we see it a lot in documentary. Um, having having it exist in a narrative where you can really be in and really exist in this relationship and feel the love for these characters. It's um, you know, it's it's a loud, it's a louder voice, I feel. Mm -hmm. Erica, let me bring you back to something you said uh, at the beginning of our conversation, where you, you were talking, when I asked about, you know, why the time is now, and you talked about um, this is a moment where we're, we're being given budgets and resources to tell these stories that now have the platform, and yet, and yet, I'm going to quote a diary entry um, that you wrote, <laughs> um, where you reflected on what you would do with a fraction of the marketing budget that, say, Killers of the Flower Moon had. And you write, and I quote, a studio wants to show Fancy Dance for Native American Heritage Month. They are sad to say they can't buy the film, but they would love to sponsor a screening, of, screening for their employees in November. Are these gatekeepers going to trap Fancy Dance inside the month of November only to trot it out every Thanksgiving to absolve the industry's century-long legacy of red face and native erasure? And there was something else down here uh, in, in, in my notes. I'm trying to find it. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. If months were geography, November would be the reservation. 30 square, 30 square days contained by a fence of diversity panels and, fi and a $500 stipend. It does say free lunch, though, so maybe. Talk, talk more about that. So on the one hand, Brilliant. you're extolling the, the budgets and the platforms you have now, and yet, correct me if I'm wrong, has Fancy Dance been optioned, been taken by a student, been purchased? I don't know the film lingo. <laughs> um, 
No, unfortunately, we we haven't. You know, Michiana and I have recently spoken about how, like, when you're an independent filmmaker, you're kind of given a list, like a checklist. And, you know, they're like, write a good script. Okay, bring in... Um, bring in financiers and producers who will help you make this film, do the monumental task of actually getting a, an independent film made, you know, bring on someone like Lily Gladstone who will help you get that film made premiere at a top tier film festival, like Sundance and South by Southwest. Like we were just checking everything off the list. And then we, you know, get, get a near perfect Rotten Tomato score, have all the trade papers, give you rave reviews. And we were going through this list. And then after South by, we were sitting there like no offers, like just crickets. And it's, it's, um, it's hard to reconcile the response that we're getting from the critics and the audiences at these film festivals and all of the accolades we've run, won. I don't even know how many awards we've won at this point along our festival tour. It's hard to reconcile what the audiences are saying and the critics are saying about this film with the fact that the buyers in the industry are yet to make um, that final move for us. And I think the thing that is difficult as a, as a filmmaker is you make these pieces and these projects to reach audiences. Like we made this film because we want not only our communities to see it, but non-native communities to see it. And we want them to laugh and be entertained. It's not like you're gonna watch Fancy Dance and just be bombarded with like a history lesson or something. Like there's fun, there's laughs, there's antics, there's, there's thriller elements, there's drama, there's tears. Like there's a lot going on here just as a business product that we are seeing audiences respond to. And I think, you know, I got to share in that beautiful moment at Cannes where Killers premiered. And it was so wonderful to be there with Lily and witness that monumental occasion, not only for Lily, but also for Native peoples to see that film be received and have the budgets and the money. And now I think the next part of that conversation needs to be companies like Apple or Amazon or Netflix and all of these folks to recognize us native filmmakers who are telling stories with the same topics, the same actors, this in the same mm -hmm. state, you know, that we should, we should be given the runway with small percentages of those budgets so that we can reach audiences. Because right now, the only version of this story in Oklahoma that can be consumed is the one made by a non-native person. And it's a beautiful, wonderful film that's exploring all these incredible things with this massive scope. I just hope that also a smaller film like this made with the intention that comes with being a native person can also be reached so that we can have a conversation about, about all of these points of view and about all of the approaches to these important stories. And if I can um, add to that really quick, I know we're yeah, limited. No, absolutely. But just um, being in this film that Erica was my guest at Cannes, um, she had to be. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of the, one of the most consistent one of the most consistent things I've heard in the wake of people seeing it is they want more Molly Burkhart, they want more of her sisters, they want more of an Osage perspective coming out of Killers, because Killers is a disturbing film, it's very moving, and it, you want more from it. 
And it's been remarkable that what people are asking for is more Native representation. And when I have heard people who have had the luck to see both Killers and Fancy Dance, across the board, the feedback has been Fancy Dance has filled that void that they walked out of Killers with. Like they, you leave, we did what we, we did what we wanted to do. People have left the theater seeing our film, wanting to know more about Native people, wanting to know more about Native history, Native reality today, and wanting more of those interpersonal relationships between these Native women. You know, that's, that was the tragedy of Killers. And audiences, a young man in his 20s stood up and said he was so grateful he got to see both because he said he felt like these two films particularly need to be seen together. And that's just across the board been what I've been hearing. So, yeah, it fills a very necessary void. So, so Lily, I'm going to give you the last word in the less than two minutes that we have left. But you, as Erica was talking about, you're getting lots of buzz um, because of Killers of the Flower Moon. I understand last, last night, you won outstanding lead performance um, from the Gotham Awards for an, yet another film, The Unknown Country. Yep. Um, you yep. are known. You are known for your silences, and even in the in the clip that we showed, we 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 see you say and do a lot in a in, in a scene without saying without saying a word. And I'm just wondering. You 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 are self proclaimed character actress. So what types of character, what type of characters would you like to portray in the future? I mean, I think Erica will say this. If you watch our blooper reel on set, it's like, I'm actually a pretty <laughs> funny person too. <laughs> it's, um, there is a lot of, there's a lot of humor in Fancy Dance. And, you know, Jax is a very specific, has a very specific kind of humor that I see very, very, a lot in Indian country. But we've got goofballs too, you know. It's um, mm -hmm. all in the timing. It's all in the balance with drama, which is kind of how we survive and why we're so resilient. But yeah, I mean, Erica, Erica and I were told after we did a screening in Oklahoma that we needed to go on the road together with a comedy duo because we play <laughs> off of each other very well as, as well. Well, you know Let's... what? Is there a movie that you would love that's already been out that you think is brilliant that you've discussed that you would love to remake with either a full an all native cast or or a mixture in the cast hmm. i want to do something like stranger than fiction like a native version of stranger than fiction that's one that comes to mind i don't know erica's the Erica? erica's the better one to answer that one i think I don't know about a remake. I want to like make new classics. You know, I want to see I want to see indigenous stories have their have their own roots and 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 see new kinds of of storytelling and 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 have that have those be the things that indigenous storytellers 20 years from now are remaking. I would love to see that future. I will say that there is a full version of Star Wars in the Navajo language because that's one that Danae people felt would be a really good one to revitalize language with. So you can't <laughs> access a full cut of Star Wars in, in Danae. This is fantastic. Um, I have not seen Killers of the Flower Moon, but I'm definitely going to now after having seen um, Lily Gladstone in Fancy Dance. Writer, director, Erica Tremblay, actor, Lily Gladstone. Thank you so much for coming to Washington Post Live. Congratulations on the film. Somebody better buy this film. 
buy this film. Seriously, seriously, people want to watch it. Everybody's asking me, how do I see Fancy Dance? How do I see Fancy? Everyone wants to see this film. <laughs> and everyone and everyone should see this film. Lily, thank Erica, thank you both very much. Thank you for coming to Capehart on Washington Post Live. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Capehart. It's edited by Nick Roberts. We'll have new episodes for you every Thursday. I'm Jonathan Capehart. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ.